0: Welcome back to the Sustainable Jungle Podcast. We share uplifting stories from people all over the world working to change our planet for the better. I'm Joy and today we speak to Ian Domasa the founder of the EcoBrick Exchange, a social enterprise in South Africa that among other things is building useful structures like schools from unrecyclable plastic waste. We were lucky enough to catch Ian on South Africa's spectacular garden route at the Green Pop Festival of Action in Knysna. We had such a great time learning from some remarkable people at this festival and also managed to interview Green Pop's tree EO, Misha Teasdale. So be sure to look out for that interview coming out in the next couple of months. Now for today's episode, you can follow along or jump ahead using the show notes on our website at sustainablejungle.com forward slash podcast. There will also be a little video of this interview with Ian coming out later this week. So if you're curious and want to see how an eco brick is made, head over to the show notes or check out the Sustainable Jungle YouTube channel. And now, without further ado, here is Ian Domasa.
1: Ian, thank you so much for having us here at the Festival of Action in Naizna. Joy and I are super excited to be here and it looks like it is just such an incredible vibe going on. Can we just kick things off and find out a bit more about you and where were you born and where did you grow up? Thanks guys and welcome. It's so great that you could have factored this into your
2: trip. My story, I grew up in, in the leafy suburbs of Cape Town and was very privileged to go to a very good school. And I remember just feeling very curious as a school student and almost restless to be a part of change, both in terms of the environmental pollution that was happening as well as just the the social huge divide. And I felt so restless. During high school, I was uh, privileged to be invited to participate in Habitat for Humanity. And it was right about the time when Habitat for Humanity had grown to the point where they pulled funding from external and so it meant that if we wanted to continue we had to raise our own money to build houses. It was such an interesting timing so in the beginning we were just having fun building houses with our friends and but also feeling welcome in a township which was a new experience to us white privileged South Africans and then it became a different ball game when we had to raise, at the time, it was 50,000 rand per house. I was in the Interact Club and we had a sister school and we started doing really fun um, events to raise these funds. We built a shack on our school fields, we held a wine auction, um, we did some really fun things. And um, that was a time in my life where I felt so engaged and so alive um, and it really it sowed the seed. Yeah, so I think that's kind of where a lot of my community development um, seeds were sown.
1: So so you grew up in Cape Town and you were exposed to the social element and obviously that divide you mentioned between the haves and the have-nots. Mm. And I understand you went on and you studied architecture.
2: Yeah, I studied architecture and that was full on and uh, left very little time for anything else. And when that was finished, I was hungry to continue that, that journey and it was around about that time that I came across the, the EcoBrick concept and I couldn't understand why it wasn't being used in South Africa. With our unemploy- unemployment levels so high and a huge amount of plastic pollution and the need for shelter, I just thought that the EcoBrick could be the perfect vehicle to you know, turn these challenges into opportunities. So I started searching around for, for reasons as to why it wasn't being built. And one of my architectural mentors said to me, Ian, if you go and apply to build a school out of bottles, once they stop laughing, they'll say no. <laughs> <laughs> but he also lent his um, architectural firm support in guiding us through the journey to get a building plan approved. Um, and it was, a, it was a beautiful relationship. So Brian and, and Debbie Wintermare were those architects in Port Elizabeth? And yeah, they were just so dedicated in supporting us. So we we found a, a preschool in Port Elizabeth that was in dire need of repair uh, called Penguin's Preschool. And it was run by an amazing lady called Blomi Nonchinga. And she started the school just to get the kids off the streets because they were just running around and she was worried about them. She became a teacher, but her school consisted literally of of a shack behind her rdp house and when the rain fell it would come through and it would cancel the school for a few days because the floor consisted of a carpet on on sand and it would just get moldy and and you know port elizabeth is known as the windy city so it was really not a great space for for studying and um, we appealed to her, to be an experiment, and to to join us into this task of not only making an eco brick building, but to mobilise her community to get involved and to make the eco bricks and clean up her community, and she agreed. And she, you know, she's a community leader, so she really spread the habit into her community. And over a period of two years, six thousand eco bricks have been made in the Port Elizabeth region. Uh, united around helping her school. And it's it's taken a little bit longer than that to get the building plan approved. But it's just been such an amazing journey and it, it's felt like it hasn't been it's not just me or the team, so I haven't spoken. There's been a big team of us that have formed in order to do this. It's really not been an individual and it but it's felt like it's been carried by a big community.
0: The architecture thing was that do you think inspired by the work on Habitat for Humanity, was that all linked together?
2: Yeah, so the Habitat for Humanity, I just I love that model of turning building houses for people who direly need them into something that was a fun, enjoyable activity to do with your friends. And to feel welcome in a township, and to learn more about a different culture, mm-hmm. um, and so actually that's where the word exchange comes from. An eco brick exchange oh, is what I received from putting in the help is feeling welcome in another community and learning about their culture, and feel like a sense of belonging.
1: So this eco brick was the perfect sort of fit i wonder if you can explain for the listeners what is an eco brick <laughs> yeah they must be curious so an eco brick is a
2: two liter plastic bottle filled with all non-recyclable plastics so those might vary depending on where you are and what access to recycling you have so it could be polystyrene could be chip wrappers you know bread packets plastic bags um all of the non-recyclable plastics which are currently Um, either going to landfill or polluting the environment and you make them simply by twisting the plastics and so that they can fit into your two-liter bottle and Stuffing it down with a stick or a wooden spoon. So it's something that everyone has accessible um, Within their kitchen, you know, you can just you can do it wherever you are You don't need fancy machinery or even power to make them and Um, It creates a building material which is insulating and cost-effective and we've just seen such an amazing response um, both in terms of of the environmental sector but also in terms of people using it as a way to protect their environment. And that can be from, from plastic but it can be in the rural areas. It's also been interesting to see people trying to protect their cows, their livestock from eating plastic. Um, So it's been really fascinating to witness the different benefits that it has to different communities.
1: And how robust are these eco-bricks? Like a 2-liter Coke bottle is flimsy sort of, but when you pack it with plastic, I would imagine it can be pretty strong. So the
2: defining difference between an eco-brick and a normal brick is its ability or inability to carry strength. So eco-bricks aren't there to carry load like normal bricks. They need to fall within a, or live within a structural frame. And that frame can be timber like this, or it can be concrete, or it can be metal. Um, So its function is to have an insulating effect, but also to to gather all that material. And to make one eco-brick, a two-liter eco-brick, takes two black bags full of soft plastics to make just one
0: really yeah
2: it's it takes so much okay so you guys clearly have not made one okay we have to change this (laughs) in the course of this day um and so it's the other thing about it is it's such a transforming act when you see how much plastic goes into one bottle and you see how much plastic is in your daily life and the idea is that The habit makes you more conscious of your footprint. And it helps you be aware of what all the plastic that you use in your life and see which of those plastics you can cut out. So ironically, we hope that the EcoBrick will become extinct. We want it to be a temporary solution to getting rid of single-use plastics entirely, rather. But the interesting thing is that because a PET bottle, studies show that it will take 450 years before it will break down. If it's concealed from the elements from the sun this means that if we package them cleverly into walls we can detail them in such a way that we can reuse that material again and again which makes them in my opinion superior to normal bricks which can be used once maybe twice and then they're sent to landfill interestingly in south africa the landfill sites consist of two percent food packaging and 18 percent building rubble, and and then thirty percent organic waste. The thing is, is that you know recycling is not happening as it should. But the big defining difference will be when they start separating organic wastes from the rest, because yeah. just that process alone makes the recyclables so much easier to gather. So it's interesting to note that you know building rubble is forms a large percentage of the of the landfill sites, and therefore if we can use eco bricks to then displace that. And that's not even covering the amount of energy that goes
1: into making bricks. How have you spread the word in South Africa?
2: So it started for us at a little neighborhood market where we set up a juice stand and we only accept payment in the form of eco bricks. <laughs> so people would come and buy and I would make fresh uh, juices. Many of the vegetable came from my back garden. I, I love growing veggies. So like beetroots and really healthy uh, raw juices and we would sell those juices only in an exchange for bricks, or if we sold them for money the money was going towards our, our project and so that's how it started and then we started noticing the the green community really getting excited was in, this in in port elizabeth in
1: PE, okay yeah um in
2: 2013. from from there we started you know social media is a great mobilizing tool And we started getting invited to different design conferences and um, that's when we started developing different technologies and systems of building a variety of structures with EcoBricks and many of those became exhibition structures. So our first design um, exhibition was in 2014, so we were part of that, the World Design Capital uh, which was based in Cape Town and there was a festival called the Open Design Festival um, they asked us to build a temporary structure on the pavement outside City Hall in August in Cape Town in the rainy time. <laughs> so our structure had to be rainproof. And um, those same architects that I mentioned, Debbie and Brian, they um, they actually sponsored the the cost of the structure because our main sponsor pulled out three weeks before the event, oh, and then they. Um, <laughs> Mortgage their their house to be able to support us. Oh my gosh, what rock stars. Yeah, Yeah. and not only that, but as a collective, we put our heads together and some of their architects came up with this idea of making a transportable uh, modular system, which is now called the EcoBlock. Uh And so that enabled us to build the structure in Port Elizabeth and take it down with us. A trailer to to Cape Town, and then built the rest of it. So we built some of it in PE and some of it in Cape Town, and um, and then we built it. And we started also using people's eco bricks. So eco bricks were a currency to get into the festival. And then so the structure <laughs> grew, you know, block by block throughout the, the festival. And from that, it it sparked a, a variety of different things. But it also caught the attention of different city officials in Cape Town who were in the planning process of building an entire school out of reclaimed building materials. And so that's where Synergy started and later on when Cape Town did build that school, they involved us in um, running training programs within the local schools around that um, that community and um, we enabled them to build 4,000 eco bricks to, to use in that school. So that's been our, ironically, that's been our first school that we've built here in South Africa, which we didn't go through the regulation system yeah. because it was funded by the city, which sits above, above the regulation. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a really exciting project to be a part of. And now that that project has gone well and it's been successful, it's created a lot of specialized new jobs in that area, um, they had a, a cost saving on the materials of 30%, which enabled them to employ more people in the project. And so because that project's done well, there's three new projects that are on the books and soon to begin construction. And it's also the reason why we've moved to Cape Town. Too. So what
0: is your actual role in these projects?
2: First of all, not only for that project, but because people started hearing about us across the country, people were getting so excited. and the calls would go, we've we've heard about the Ecoric concept, we want to build something ourselves, can you help us? And uh, it was really exciting, but also really hard to remain focused on our preschool. Uh, the,
0: the one in PE. Yeah, yeah,
2: Penguins Preschool, which is our flagship project. So what we did is we developed a range of training programs which fit together, so there's three of them activator, the microbuilder, and the classic classroom. And these are programs designed to not only come up with a building with your ecobricks and a, an approvable building plan, but to train artisans and key opinion leaders in those communities to spark a microeconomy around waste material. So that whether the building ends up happening or not, because building is quite a risky process, at least they'll be entrepreneurs and artisans who will develop work opportunities through waste materials and they will keep on enforcing the habits, the eco-friendly habits such as eco-bricking, composting, recycling in their communities with or without our involvement. So trying to have a bottom-up approach of of enabling people and giving them skills and then mm. see what they do with
1: it. That's wonderful. And what has the uptake been on those courses so far? Mm-hmm. It's been exciting. We've just been, uh, you guys are catching us
2: midway through our winter tour. So we've been um, invited to do 14 events across 10 cities over winter. Some of them have been events like this where we've been doing activations and introduction level trainings in the three different cities here in the Garden Route. And that's been a sort of a scoping to find who could be the artisans that we could do a proper training for. But at the same time, getting the bricks going in each of the communities. So oftentimes, people can't afford in the communities where we want to work. They can't afford to pay for training programs, naturally. But kindly enough, some corporates have started sponsoring the programs when people can't pay for them. which has been And that's been quite fresh. That's been as of a few months ago. I'd love to tell you more about these, but they're still kind of coming together. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. but I'm sure by the time this airs, it'll be evident on our social media channels. But that's, you know, it's quite a different ballgame to what we started doing. We started with a focus on building schools, and now we've become a training development agency focusing on the green economy. Really so cool. Not just eco bricks. Not just eco bricks, yeah. yeah. So, composting and it also fits in well with my other skill set, which is landscape design. So, I love edible gardens, especially. To me, in a, in a developing country where people, you know, environmental protection is not very high on their list of priorities if they're worried about feeding their family, you can't appeal to their hearts of protecting the environment. You have to appeal to their wallets and you have to try create income opportunities. And this is what's guided these these training programs. So yeah, it's been incredible to witness the demand and try organize communities around South Africa. So you know, Joburg, Durban, Pretoria, Port Elizabeth, Blomfontein, Cape Town, they've all been now asking us and now most recently the garden route. So my work is to establish networks and exchange points in each of these areas. Where we can use p- the donated eco bricks to create income opportunities and train artisans up, but also to support early childhood development centers in each of these regions. So this is where the exchange comes in as well. And so this this festival of action has been really good at connecting those dots, finding preschool communities to support, finding very um, passionate environmental Volunteers who are willing to get things going without us. And the idea is that then, when we have enough eco bricks, when we have enough potential candidates to train, we will then return and then do an intensive training program.
1: And it's like a holistic thing. It's, as you said, it's not just eco bricks, it's composting, it's recycling, upcycling. I mean, that's fantastic. Uh, can you give us a quick overview of those other modules that you have?
2: Yeah. So, um, we have a, a school program, it's called Spark My School, and that focus on on helping the school become a zero-waste school.
1: So, in, cool. in
2: Cape Town, there's an example of such a school. Really? Yeah, it's called Rustenburg High School. It wasn't because of us. So, they, they approached us to come and do EcoBrig activation, but that was the last step in their journey of becoming zero-waste.
1: Might, m- might that be a first
2: in the world? I don't know. You guys will have Potentially. to. Potentially. Potentially. That, I've never right? heard of that. So they canceled their municipal waste bill, which saved them 40,000 rand per year. And they were able so to use that money to employ a dedicated person to manage the, the waste streams. And they have a beautiful vegetable garden. Um, they make compost, which they then sell to the parents. So it's a no-brainer. Smart. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> and, but you know the vegetable garden is such a key component each of the classes has a different uh, little patch and they all get to come and learn about vegetable growing so it stimulates them to you know to want to be involved in these things and and really develop that curiosity and then they have 17 waste reciprocal stations or resource stations around the campus and each of those bins are lined with a cornstarch biodegradable yeah it's not it's not plastic but those stay in the bins they don't get taken out and so then because the food waste is separate, it's relatively clean. So then they just empty those out, they spray it with a little bit of like, lavender or something, and um, and then they keep on going. So it's it's such a well-run system. And the teacher who's in charge, he's so passionate. And then two days a week, he does sustainability tours of the campus. And they've even done amazing things, like the common is that reserve and Table Mountain. So there used to be like a corridor of of plants that connected these two. And so then there used to be the special little sugar bird that would be found on the common. And then over time it's become extinct from that region. But because the Rustenburg school campus is so well situated, what they did is they studied that it actually, um, there's a specific aloe that um, the sugar bird drinks from. Its range, its flight range is I think 50 or 70 meters. So they dotted these plants throughout the campus and they were able to then reintegrate the birds from Tower oh, Mountain wow. back to. So it's, such a, it's a, such a fascinating model of a school, and it's very much inspiring other schools to take a similar route. So just down the road in Mowbray, there's another school who's asked us to come and help them copy that system and, and to use eco bricks, but not only to um, just make eco bricks, but to make structures with eco bricks on their campus. Uh, so that the kids can really see it coming to fruition, mm. and, and that's been a, another shift. Originally, a lot of schools were making eco bricks for other other, other them, yeah. projects, and the risk with that is that the dedicated, participating little students they don't get to see the work that happens and the the, the fruits of their efforts. and so it could just become a once-off phase. And inversely, if you can. Um, make an eco brick structure on their own school campus. They can touch and feel it, and they can <laughs> take a selfie with it, yeah. and really feel proud of it. There's so much more likelihood of a little eco warrior being formed in that child, and and that's what we're finding. So now our Spark My School program insists that something gets built on, on campus, on campus. And so now that we're training up our team of artisans, the artisans can step in at the final phases to just work with the, the concrete work and making it into a finished structure, but the, we involve the students in the workshop of you know making the eco-bricks and the eco-blocks. So the eco-blocks are these great Lego-like structures that fit into each other and can be used to create a, a range of, of things.
1: On the Ecobrick.org website, you know they've done a ton of research and they believe that eco-bricks are the best solution for solving our enormous plastic problem. What is your take on that?
2: I um, am very inspired by the work of um, Russell as well as the Ecobrick International Alliance. There's a great sharing of ideas that takes place. I think that it's a great solution to solve the plastic problem and also change people's habits and behaviors and then I call it the gateway drug <laughs> within the recycling industry, because, <laughs> you know, once you start eco-bricking, you see that your waste output suddenly halves, and you're much more likely to then start recycling and composting so that you can throw nothing away. So many people are apathetic. They say, what's my little bit of trash really going to change? But then when you see that you can have such a drastic impact, um, and then you can cancel your waste collection. That's what we find, it's that it's such a transformative approach. Mm. So we don't want people to be thinking, oh, we've got EcoBricks, so let's carry on with our plastic-producing <laughs> world and, and packaging everything that we can in plastic. No, not at all. We don't want that. Yeah. We want this to be a means to an end, and we want to be phasing out single-use plastics. And it's really inspiring to see countries ban plastic bags and plastic straws. Just yesterday was International Plastic Bag Free Day mm. and here in South Africa one of the major retailers, Pick and Pay, um, launched a biodegradable plastic bag. And it was launched in, in the V&A waterfront uh, which is a shopping mall that has just pledged to go single-use plastics free as well. Sure, Brilliant. We
0: heard um, on the radio in K- when we were in Cape Town last week I'm talking about Plastic Free July, which is obviously happening now as we yeah. record this. And I didn't realise that Plastic Free July had hit South Africa in such a way, so it's obviously happening.
2: Yeah. So, um, and actually, the aeroplane started in December 2017 when the Volvo Ocean Race held a summit, an ocean summit, in, in Cape Town. Um, and it was a fascinating collection of bright minds from around the world. Um, so, so many amazing solutions of of hope were present there, and at that event, um, the managing director of the Vienna waterfront declared to make it the whole more a, plas- a single-use plastics-free zone, which was a big pledge. Considering that that means that they have to get all of their tenants. To- to comply, all Absolutely. the restaurateurs,
1: all the it's a massive all sh- hotels, all the sh- woo, you're right, the hotels. I didn't think about that. Yeah, but it'll
2: set an amazing precedent, and it's so fitting that the two oceans aquarium, who are play a big part in the, the fight against plastic pollution in the ocean, um, it's fitting that they're right in that campus.
1: And just quickly, I don't actually think we've touched on where eco bricks. Come from. Eco bricks were
2: first used by a wonderful lady called Susanna Heiser, a German lady, um, but she was living in Guatemala at the time, and she used it um, to address the plastic pollution problem, um, especially following a severe dro- flood which um, destroyed a lot of people's houses. She um, inspired a lot of people to to replicate it, and to my knowledge. They've built about 51 schools in Guatemala um, through various organizations. And then I learned about the idea in a town called Grayton, um, where the, the Transition Town Network turned an illegal dump site into a festival grounds, a green festival ground. And a, a research student who was doing his practical element of his sustainability course an American student called Joe Stodgel brought across the idea of eco bricks there and um, used them to clean up the dump site and build an outdoor classroom at that festival, and that's where I stumbled across the concept in 2013 and became fascinated. So I feel like it's been. Um, you know, Nikki Vernon from the Transition Town, and Joe Stoddall, and then, you know, originally Susanna Heiser, it's been this great chain reaction. Um, But there have been so many other amazing eco-warriors who have taken the, the concept to different parts of the world, especially such as Russell Mayer in Indonesia and the Philippines. And then Have been very um, generous with sharing and open sourcing different techniques of building with it.
0: I'm very curious. Does it have to be a two-liter Coke bottle, or can it be any two-liter bottle, or can it be any bottle?
2: Oh no, it can. It can be any bottle, and this this is where people do vary. Um, In the beginning, we were focused around the two-liter bottle, not (laughs) Coke, just not just. (laughs) But what we found in South Africa is that the Coke-shaped bottle was the most common. Shape of two-liter bottle size. That's why we originally worked with the two-liter coke bottle, um, and we wanted all the bottles to be the same size because of the the construction techniques that we were using. And now um, we've developed quite a few different techniques, and so now we can use any size between 500 milliliters to 2.5 liters. Above that, we find that it takes too long to compress them to a usable level, and they too bulky to build with.
0: You're obviously a very thoughtful guy on everything sustainability and you've obviously had your finger on the eco-pulse for a while now. So from your perspective, what are South Africa's major sustainability challenges right now?
2: Hmm, That's a good question. You know, we've just gone through such an immense drought period and I feel like it's really shaken people up and it's been really good at opening people's eyes to see that water doesn't come from your taps and you know, if you can store it from your from your roof and create your own drinking water, um that's far better being than being reliant on external um, sources, which now we see are not always reliable. Yeah. So I feel
1: like And the, you're specifically referring to the almost completely zero water in Cape Town. Day zero, yeah. Day zero. Yeah, yeah it's it's been a
2: phenomenal um experience. We we moved to Cape Town in January, like at the <laughs> right darkest in the of it. at the darkest hour <laughs> what are wow. we doing yeah it is it was phenomenal to witness, but before the drought, you know every you know sort of every fifth or every sixth house would have a rain tank if you if you're lucky, but now people have been installing them, and it's woken people up and I think that now people are at a more susceptible moment to start thinking about sustainability and eco-consciousness differently because they've seen that, you know, we are environmental and climate change and things like this, it's becoming real and people need to be prepared and people need to be more self-efficient.
0: It's actually a survival thing now. Yeah, yeah. It's,
2: it's a matter of, of urgency and it's no longer um, an eco-friendly, nice to have, make yourself look good yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, approach. It's now, you know, you gotta be ready. I've seen a lot of people um, starting to do natural building courses. There's great courses available here now where people can go and then learn how to build their own structure and and own dwelling and also to live off the land. So the permaculture movement mm. is a fantastic one in that regard. In terms of sustainability, I think that, well, first of all, just environmental awareness and waste management awareness. You know, people just, sometimes they they're not curious enough and they don't question the system, so they think, Oh, you know, they'll just pay, you know, two thousand rand a year to have their waste thrown away, but that's not what it's costing them, because the landfill department charges the waste collection department a lot more than what we pay, Mm. so that comes out of taxpayers' money, and our landfill sites are—it's a crisis. Getting bigger and
0: bigger. Yeah, yeah,
2: they—they're running out of space urgently. So there's a big shift that needs to, to happen and at the moment I don't feel like the force from the municipal powers is strong enough. I don't think that that it should be an option whether you can or can't recycle, or you can and can't Absolutely. use your waste properly. So that being said, I think that South Africans we must cut ourselves some slack and that it's more difficult than it needs to be right now.
0: Yeah, we can actually simplify that. Yeah. yeah,
2: and you know, just a simpler thing as separating your organic waste from your non non-organic waste will be a huge step. And there's a pledge that's been made that by 2022, that no South African landfill sites will be accepting organic waste. Amazing. brilliant. It sounds like a long time, but I think this, to change the system, that <laughs> yeah, time yeah. But that's the biggest contributor of our landfill sites when food waste is um, deprived of oxygen that's when it emits methane and
1: that's mm, that's greenhouse gas yeah
2: can
0: be so but also
2: i mean if you can rather use it to make beautiful compost for your veggies
0: exactly <laughs> to to a a healthy,
2: <laughs> food. yeah
0: food. yeah there's so many things you can do with that and stuff. there's
2: great systems now that even if you're living in an apartment and you only have a balcony you know there's the grow pro system which is this beautiful vertical garden with a worm farm in the middle Um, And then it catches the water at the bottom so there's a cycling happening and the worms go out and uh, improve the soil quality and then you can grow your fresh vegetables right there on your on your balcony So there's systems like this that are now available and I think that um, people are starting to take action and, and the youth especially are starting to get curious and their hands dirty I think there's a there's a beautiful tribe forming and You'll witness tonight some of the young voices um, from around the country who have who have come to this festival to be to become proactive citizens, and you know that's a that's a it's been a beautiful um, experience to share with with the youth and to feel more positive about the, the future of the country by witnessing these these young kids who have come and they are hungry to. Back and, and replicate systems in their own areas, and they had to work hard to come here. They, you know, they had to apply. They had to. Some of them had to fundraise. So it's it's really inspiring to feel part of this tribe. And Green Pop have done an amazing thing about creating this unity. And people can't understand why people keep coming back. And there's this there's this family sort of approach that's so been really hopeful to witness.
0: So there's Ecobricks, there's amazing organizations like GreenPop. Is there anything else that jumps straight to mind when you think of what other exciting innovations or organizations there are out there doing something amazing in South Africa or Southern Africa? Hmm. Oh, globally, that if that's easier.
2: A... Yeah, I mean, everyone knows about Brian Slat, the uh, big ocean cleanup.
0: Oh, of course. Yes. Yeah.
2: So he came to the Global Ocean Race Conference. So it was really cool to mm-hmm. meet him. And then obviously Syl- Sylvia Earle, she came to... She came to a different conference last year. That was the African Marine Waste Conference, which happens every two years. Just thinking now about more solutions. So I belong to um, an organisation called Amapika, which is um, sponsored by Red Bull. It means wings, Um, and they've supported me in my in my journey as a social entrepreneur. So they've given me a business coach, they've given me offices, and I've never been obligated to promote Red Bull. Really drink it, um, and but I've fallen in love with the brand. But through that organization, I've met fantastic individuals and organizations that have really just blown my mind. So, um, Ritaka is one that comes to mind, she makes beautiful handbags out of um, recycled shopping bags. There's a guy who has a cast oil farming. Set up where you make biodiesel um, from castor seeds. Um, it's been a, it's been a wide variety of, and it's it's something also that I feel like I belong to, and it's up till that point that it had been quite a lonely game, the social entrepreneurship one, because you yeah. don't really belong in corporate, you don't really belong as entrepreneur, um, and you have very unique challenges. So belonging to that enterprise has been has been really um, impactful in my journey.
0: What's, what would be next for you this coming year?
2: Ironically, I really need some downtime <laughs> <laughs> after this winter tour, as I'm sure you guys have this similar feeling. I really just, uh, as a team, we need to just take some time to really reflect back on everything that's just happened on this tour and really first analyze what's happened, what we can adjust, what we can do better, and then make our plan forward. So we are looking to the online space of doing online training programs. Um, mm-hmm. because we just believe that'll really maximize our, our reach and uh, make our material more available to a bigger market. And, and yeah, then we just working to focus our attention on getting Penguins Preschool built. It'll be the first double-story EcoBrick building in the world, um, <laughs> and the whole school will be a recyclable building as well. Um, so it's it's quite an exciting one. And we are starting to get some great traction. In fact, in two weeks time they're gonna start with the first boundary wall. So it's, it's When is gonna, it due to be finished? It we've no longer we've no, <laughs> no longer, longer going finishing. that way. It's, yeah, <laughs> Rather when it starts. <laughs> yeah, when it when it starts and then we'll see. And you know, there's been a few sponsors that have given small bits and it's just about gathering the rest of the remaining funds to to make that happen. And then, but we have a great team in Port Elizabeth, uh, led by Kevin Gimwell, who's another architect um, specializing in the green, green economy. And so we, we're working together and, and focusing on getting that done. And then I think after that stage, we'll be revising our model more.
0: Now, if there was one message that you could send out and get into the ears and the heads and, have, and be really heard by every human being on Earth, <laughs> what would it be?
2: To be wary of the naysayer. And to focus on the enthusiastic few, those weren't those aren't my words. Those were told to me by one of my mentors, Ian Wiseman, and it has been such a profound type of guidance for me because you know, putting yourself out there and committing to doing something that's never been done, you make yourself very vulnerable to criticism, and you have to keep on remembering to focus on the enthusiastic few and the energy and the passion that you see in those people. To keep you going, and then you have to have a thick shield to protect yourself from the criticism, because uh, it can get rough. And yeah, I think you know a lot of people will rather criticize an idea and find fault with it than acknowledge that it's it's a good idea that people are using and that it's working. And they'll rather find fault with that than actually get off their butt and do something. And so you come across these very, yeah. Naysayers, <laughs> yeah, you get yeah, you come across these naysayers, and they can become debilitating at times. So, <clears throat> my work is to become resilient towards that, and and resilient towards the different challenges and the doubts that come along your your journey, and to keep to keep motivated. But then, if you can reach out to people with like minded passions and connect with people and form a tribe, it's just so important to have to have fellowship in your community. Yeah, and then to to be wary of the naysayer. Uh,
0: like the, the like your um was it your mentor or your boss said to you, they're gonna laugh at you when yeah. they uh. yeah, <laughs> and you got it, you still did it, yeah, which you know very cool. And we've actually only just decided to start doing this because we've had a couple of requests of people saying, "Can you get like some sustainability tips from these people who actually know what they're doing on this stuff?" Yeah. So could you give us maybe just like one super easy practical sustainable living tip?
2: So my advice would be to pick one thing, one thing that you're going to do, one thing that you're going to specialize and commit to doing seriously. So for me, it was eco bricks and becoming curious and fascinating and, and interested in, in why it was or wasn't working in my community. But for other people, it could be the shopping packet. You know, what, uh, what is a cause that you're going to be passionate about that you are going to concentrate your energy on, and focus on achieving impact on that thing. Because it takes focus, it takes dedication, and it takes a lot of concentrated effort to achieve change. But if people can all adopt one thing and have a bigger impact, I think that that'll be a good tip to go
1: by. You can, in this space, become so overwhelmed with all the problems and issues and, oh, I need to change my entire Mm. lifestyle to become green. But you're right, just focusing on one habit, changing one habit can have uh, an impact, an incremental impact that adds up over time to something quite huge.
2: Yeah, yeah. I was impressed by Boyan Slat's response to my question, because I said, you know, what are you guys doing with all the plastic you're pulling out of the ocean? And he said, it's not my role. I'm mm. just there to take it out of the ocean. And I was, I was like, oh, I, I mean, I'm sure they're turning them into sunglasses and, and great upcycled things and shoes and whatever, but he was like, oh, that's not my role.
0: So and finally, where can people find you online? Mm. How can they support the Ecobrick Exchange and any of the projects that you guys are working on?
2: Yeah, so our website is ecobrickexchange.org and Facebook and Instagram, uh, we known as the Ecobrick Exchange and um, we're quite active there. But yeah, we work a lot through emails and we try to adjust our uh, website so that each region where we work has a project page and that then people can see the needs that are currently needed in that area, um, and to learn more in that way.
0: How do you get funding? Are donations welcome?
2: Yeah, for the, for the pro- beneficiary projects, yeah. uh, especially at the moment, Penguins Preschool, um, we're concentrating all our fundraising efforts there. But also, if people want to sponsor communities who can't afford the training programs, then they can also make donations there.
0: We'll put the links to all of those things on the site, so let us know if there's something. That'd we'll put be the link great. to the. And by penguins.
2: September, when this is probably <laughs> airing, um, <laughs> our website will be uber fancy and have all the PayPal links and things like that. Super cool. Mm.
0: Uh, Ian, thank you so much. This has been enlightening and really interesting and inspiring. So thank you very much. It's exactly what we set out to do when we um, when we started this little process of finding really inspirational stories of people like yourself who are actually out there making change. So and thank I think you.
1: You, yeah, you ticked uh, every single box. Yeah, well done. So thank you, Ian. <laughs> thank you.
2: Well, thanks, guys. It's been great chatting to you guys here in the amongst the trees in this beautiful <laughs> jungle. Uh, thanks for taking time out to come and, and find. Be here and to share this story.
0: Isn't it just so inspiring to hear of people like Ian making such meaningful change by reusing what many would consider waste. Eco bricks are now being used in a number of countries to address multiple environmental and social problems. So here's a little challenge for you, could you find a way to use these ideas in your own community? We'll leave you to mull that one over. As always, thank you for hanging out with us and we will see you next time.